Happy Labor Day, everyone. That was weak, a little response, crowd participation. It's good to be here, amen? So I thought, you know, Labor Day weekend would be fitting to talk about, I don't know, work. Does that sound good to you? How about being a force in the labor markets? Does that sound good to you? How do I do that? What does that look like? What about my circumstances? What do I need to do to be a force in the markets? It's interesting. And I, my old job as a journalist, I would look up stats. And you have to understand, stats are what they are. But we do follow them, and they do tell a story. And the right management group put out a particular statistic recently, I, I want to say at the beginning of 2012. And it said this, 84% of the American workforce are dissatisfied with their job and will be looking for another job by the end of 2012. Wow. Now, can I quantify that and say that's absolutely true? I don't know. But I can tell you that that same statistic even a couple years ago, was about 20% less. So something's changed. People are working longer and harder and struggling to get by on half of what they used to make. Something is going on. Would you agree? So I believe it's, it's timely to talk about this with the Lord and find out how do we become a force in the labor markets. And I want you to turn to the book of Daniel uh, the ushers are going to be bringing Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can you take one, raise your hand. If you just need to borrow one and you forgot your Bible, you can do that. Also, if you have your techie devices, you can also use that. Just don't make any phone calls during the sermon. Amen. Uh, as you're turning to Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, I want to set up kind of a scenario. Basically talking about Daniel's life. Daniel... I'm going to walk down here for a second while we do that. Daniel had three kings that he served on, served under during this time. So from Daniel chapter 1 to Daniel chapter 6, he served under three kings. The first one was Nebuchadnezzar, the second one was Belshazzar, and the third one was Darius. And under these three kings, they all had different quirks, different things that they had to, uh, they had, that, that Daniel had to overcome. But the first one, Nebuchadnezzar, he was the guy that basically took the children of Israel into captivity in Babylon. So imagine, here's the children of Israel. Here's a Hebrew boy named Daniel. They, they think probably 15 to 16 to 17 years of age. In exile, their kingdom has been completely uprooted. And here they go over here to Babylon. So Daniel is in, a, in captivity under this boss named Nebuchadnezzar. Now it's interesting, this boss, this king... Uh, and I'm going to use the word boss for king because it's going to speak directly to you and your situations. Amen? So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He tells everybody about it. Or he doesn't tell anybody about it. He's asking everybody else to tell him about it. And he won't tell them what he dreamed about. So he's asking somebody to interpret that dream. Well, no one knows what to do, and he threatens to start taking heads. You think your workplace is rough. So here comes Daniel with the grace of God, the favor of God. God gives him the, the dream. Not only does he tell Nebuchadnezzar and read his mail, he also tells him what the dream means. So then he survives that, and then the next thing, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar about his kingdom ending. And so Daniel's facing these situations where the kingdom is ending for Nebuchadnezzar, and he has to speak truth to his boss and say, your kingdom's coming to an end. You're going to eat grass and become insane. Can you imagine going up to your boss and saying, you're going to eat grass and go insane? And he's going to look at you, are you smoking grass? I mean, you know. I mean, he, took, he had courage. He had courage. 
Then the next king that he comes up against after Nebuchadnezzar's rule, by the way, he did go insane, he did eat grass, and then later on, he got restored for a season until the next king comes along. And Daniel is in the same boat again with a new king and a new boss. And another dream comes, and then he has to tell the same boss, this Belshazzar, you've been weighed and you've been measured and you've been found wanting. How do you like to deliver that type of news to your boss? So what happens? His kingdom ends. Now a corporate takeover comes along. And here is Darius in chapter 6, where we're at. Now as we turn to that, uh, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to understand what it means to be a force, but what it's costing the American economy today, today, what it's costing from a poor attitude. $300 billion, according to Gallup, $300 billion per year in lost American dollars because people are increasingly unhappy, they're apathetic about their organizations, and they're detached from what they do. Wow! $300 billion. How do we change that? The questions to answer, and these are the ones I want you to think about. What does God expect of me at work? How do I win in the marketplace? And what is the relationship between my work and my attitude and my witness? Daniel was a force. He was a labor force in the labor force. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to distinguish or sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. So we, we see a very crucial part of that text talking about an excellent spirit. What that means is he had an, an attitude of excellence. He had an attitude of gratitude. And this is something that on a Labor Day weekend, as I thought about this, yes, in, in your skill sets and your capacities and, and how you engage the work, some of you are markedly talented at what you do. Some of you are out of position and needing to find another job. Your aptitude doesn't equal your attitude. But if you have a good attitude, you will be put in the right place. He will see to it that you get there. Attitude is everything. In fact, in the marketplace, it's a primary thing. And so we see that excellence is something that begins inward. Daniel was a great leader because he was why? He was a great follower. He served where he was at. And it, there's 10 things that I want you, if you have a pen, I, write, I want you to write down because I think they're important. 10 aspects to having a great attitude. What I would call 10 characteristics, and I'm going to breeze through them quick. I'm not going to spend, this isn't going to be a four-hour sermon. In fact, I got her done, I think, in 30 or less, last, last hour, somewhere close. Ten characteristics of excellent attitudes. Number one, work to solve problems. These type of people work to solve problems. They don't create problems. You're not an HR nightmare. Praise God, I'm not an HR nightmare. Number two, engage their work. They don't, people with excellent attitudes engage their work. They don't endure their work. See the difference? If you make widgets 
You better make those widgets with the best attitude on the planet. Amen? If, you, if you're a stay-at-home mom, and let me just say for the record, anyone who tells you that a, a stay-at-home mom with, or, or stay-at-home dad with four small kids under the age of eight is equal to a CEO of any major company on the face of this planet. I, it, you don't believe me? Come over to the Kibbe household during the week, and I will put you through the paces with hope. You watch my wife. Her attitude is astonishing. I couldn't do it. We need to honor mothers who work in this country. We need to honor, but what, what, what my wife does really well is she has an excellent attitude about it. Now, we do have moments where she goes, here. <laughs> Think about that one. <laughs> Number three, people with excellent attitudes, they show up on time. <laughs> they don't waste time. If you, you are spending more time on Facebook and Twitter at your office place, you won't be there long. And for the record, generationally speaking, my generation, I'm 40 years old. I just dated myself a little bit, but we'll do that. In my generation, showing up on time was, if it was a 9 o'clock appointment, you showed up at 8.55, 8.58, okay? In my parents' generation, which they're here today, they would show up at 8.45, this generation, early is 9.15 while they're texting and not looking you in the eye. I just upset some people, didn't I? Uh, and they're all under the age of 20. I will say, don't be that person. You want to excel in the marketplace, learn the positivity of a great attitude. Show up on time. You want, to, you want a job, get, hey, make getting a job your full-time job. Number four. They're team players. People with an excellent attitude, they're team players. They're not Lone Rangers. Lone Rangers make great movies. They usually end up dead or martyred or, you know, I mean, <laughs> they're not team players. You have a part to play in the story of your office place. My dad's a great mentor to me in some areas. I've watched him navigate through the years many, 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 many circumstances where he had to lead up. How many know what I mean by lead up? That means you have to have a good attitude when the bosses get a little off kilter. He was a team player, though. Number five, they come with open hands, not a closed fist. And, and, I, and I wrote this, just as, this one's a freebie. Are you chronically bullheaded with no openness to the opinions of others? That's a know-it-all mentality. Number six, uh, people with excellent attitudes measure their words. They are not the company gossip. They measure their words. They're not, in essence, if you tell a story to someone and they repeat it and you hear it through seven other channels, can I make a recommendation? Don't tell that person. And for the most, don't be an, and do not be an information broker. Number eight, number seven, truth tellers. People with excellent attitudes are truth tellers. They're not storytellers. They don't fudge stuff. Number eight, and this is again the attitude of Daniel. Number eight, they are good listeners. They're not chronic interrupters. And I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I fail this one a lot. And when the Lord's saying, if I'm in a counseling thing, the one thing I, that he's taught me how to do when I'm talking to someone or helping to work through a problem he will shut me down so that I can hear you. But I will tell you, as soon as I'm 
such a great listener in, the, in, in listening to you and your stories and how to help. I go straight home to my wife and I ask her, hi, honey, how was your day? She starts about three seconds in and I completely chop her off. I've just devalued my wife by doing that. I've just said that her time is not important than is my time. You get that? When you do it at work, it's the same thing. You're telling the people you work with, you don't, your, your time isn't valuable. What you have to say doesn't matter. And we send these messages, and I'm just trying to help you be coherent. And I, I do this too, because we all get, we, we start loading up and saying in the office place, well, I got this brainiac idea. I want to unleash this. And so, yeah, 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 but. Just be aware. Just be aware. I, I think it, it, good listeners, not chronic interrupters. Number nine, are you coachable? They're coachable. People with excellent attitudes are coachable because they are humble. You cannot be a person who is, an, is not a Christ. You say, now this is going to step on toes, but I'm going to say this. You cannot be humble if you're not a Christ follower. It's impossible. Well, how do you say that? Because you're putting other gods before him, and he wants first place. A truly humble person puts Jesus and his work and his efforts and people above themselves. And I will tell you that none of us operate in 100% humility all the time. But we can, by God's grace, and that's why, thank God, it's the grace of Jesus that gives us the power to do what Daniel did. He can do for you in your office place. But you have to have an attitude of gratitude, and you have to be coachable. And number 10, and this is my favorite one. I love this one. Excellent spirits are not entitled spirits. This is title town. This is not entitlement town. Let's change the culture. Well, what do you mean by that? I'm not discounting that there are serious needs that need to be addressed. Churches need to rise up and help those who are hurting. I'm not marginalizing that. I'm not saying that if there's a time and a season in life where you're unemployed, I'm not beating you up. Hear me very clear. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what's between the mind right here. It's an attitude, it's a thought process that, yeah, life's got me down, but I'm going to rise above this. I'm going to get a job if I don't have a job. I'm going to do better because God is with me. I'm going to get through this storm. It's no sin to make mistakes. <laughs> make bad, it is a sin, actually. Let me, let me rephrase that. Uh, sinning can be a huge mistake, but we make mistakes. We make poor judgments, and all of a sudden, God can I recover? You stay stuck in that situation without allowing God's grace to get you through it. That's what I'm trying to say. And when you feel entitled, then the world owes you something. You know what? The world doesn't owe me anything. I want to show you real quick, just to expound on this, a guy who's not even a Christ follower, who had excellent insight into the problem that we face in our country with work-related issues. Bill Gates, the, the founder of Microsoft, had... 11 tips for business at the speed of thought. This was a number of years back. I just wanted to go through a couple of them. Actually, I wanted to go through all of them, but I'll make it fast. So again, this is Bill Gates. That is the Love Boat theme music from the 1970s. We couldn't find anything. I, I had that in my head just to introduce it. Number one, life is not fair. Get used to it. Rule number two. Rule number two, the world won't care about your self-esteem. It will expect you to accomplish something before you feel good about yourself. Rule number three, 
You will not make $40,000 a year right out of high school. You won't be a vice president with an iPhone until you earn both. Although I think a lot of kids do have iPhones, so maybe that one doesn't apply. Rule four, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get a boss. He doesn't have tenure. Number five, flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Rule number six, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault, so don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. We should repeat that. Learn from your parents. Number seven, before you were born, your parents weren't as boring as they are now. They got that way from paying your bills, cleaning your clothes, listening to you talk about how cool you are. So before you save the rainforest from the parasites of your parents' generation, try delousing the closet in your own room. Number eight, your school may have done away with winners and losers, but life has not. In some schools, they have abolished failing grades. They'll give you as many times as you want to get the right answer. This doesn't bear the slightest resemblance to anything in real life. Number nine, life is not divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. Number 10, television is not real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to jobs. And finally, number 11, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll work for one. <laughs> Food for thought from Bill Gates. Things to consider. Do you distinguish yourself like Daniel in the marketplace? How do you react when things do not go your way? How do we react when things... Here's the thing. As you read the, the rest of the story in Daniel chapter 6, he gets put in a very tough situation. Because it says that the satraps were out to conspire against him. He had enemies that wanted to, to, to they, they were jealous. Some of you have people that you work with that are jealous of you, looking for a promotion over you. They'll throw you under the bus. You, you know that, that, and you're sitting here in fear, and you're reacting to situations that you have no reason to overreact to, but your flesh is telling you, I have to make it happen. And what you have to understand is that God will make it happen for you. You don't have to strive, struggle, and get in fear and operate like the world does. You can do it with him. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. In Daniel chapter 6, they make this ridiculous decree that they have to bow down to King Darius for 30 days. King signs off on it. Maybe that's like a business deal or a boss that signs off on some things that are ungodly. Maybe he's saying, you know what, if you just go over to this, if you just wink at this, if you just fudge the numbers here, if you, if, you know what, this will close this business deal, and if you're a guy, you have no business being in strip clubs. But if your boss says, hey, let's go to the strip club, you know what you need to do? Oh, great king, I will not bend, I will not bow, I will not burn. You don't close that deal. Can I get a name, man? Can I get a witness from the congregation? You, if he asks you to wink at something that's unethical, I'm not going to promise you that you're never going to get into the fire. But what I will tell you is that whether you're in the lion's den or you're in the fire, God will deliver you through that fire. He will be with you. And sometimes it's painful. But he will be with you. Channel 5 in uh, Minneapolis, I used to work there. Uh, we had uh, a guy... I had a decision to make, and uh, it was 
Um, it was a job that I was up for. I had worked there for a couple of years. The main guy at the place got fired. This was in Minneapolis. And uh, I had worked many years to, to, to try to advance in the broadcast news sports industry, was covering the Vikings. I know, I know, don't flog me. And uh, it paid the bills, though, and we ate. Amen? Uh, but we're, we're in this situation where I'm up for the main job. I've worked hard, kept my nose clean, really, really tried to live out these principles in this, in this book. And the news director said, we're going to hire you. You're going to be the main guy. More money than you've ever made in your life, blah, 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 blah. We're starting to hear a lot of that. She wanted corporate vision for the next couple of years for the department. And so I'm thinking, it's me and this other guy, this guy from Denver. Well, the owner of the company steps in at the last minute, does not interview me, and interviews the other guy and gives the other guy the job. So I got passed up for promotion. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I have a decision to make. I have a decision to make to have a good attitude in the marketplace. How do, how do I handle this? So the first thing I did when he came on the first day on the job, I took him out to lunch on my dime, not the company dime. And do you know what he asked me at the end of the, uh, end of the lunch? He said, Ryan, did you, uh, is that on the Hubbard dime? Is that on the company dime? I said, no, because I wanted you to know that I'm here to help serve you and serve that vision under you, even though I got passed over for promotion because that's what my God wants me to do. And I'm going to tell you in my guts, and my, my folks are here today, my guts screamed having to do that. But I'll tell you, about three months later, when they were trimming people from the workforce, and it was me and another lady on the workforce, guess who they offered a promotion, four weeks of vacation, more money than I ever made in my life, and kept me in a, in a sagging economy. They offered me that job to be the number two guy. So it was still a promotion. Are you, are you tracking with me? Here's the cool part. I turned the job down and came here to be a pastor at Green Bay. And to me, that's a promotion, being here with you. So God has his ways, and things that you go through are tests. There's lion's dens that you have to, that you have to walk through. But God has your end in mind. Uh, Daniel's co-workers, they were jealous. And I want to say in your workplace, an excellent work ethic in you will stir people up around you for better or worse. Some will become inspired. Others will become jealous. But Daniel prayed with God. He walked with God. He talked with God. He didn't separate himself from the marketplace. He didn't have what we call business ethics. You know, there's no such thing as business ethics. You're either ethical or you're not. <laughs> you can't be ethical in church and situational at work. You are who you are. And here's the cool part. None of us are perfect. We know that. That's why we need the grace of Jesus. But what he does in the marketplace for you is he gives you a gracing, a favor, uh, a, a, an opportunity. If you let him, he will deliver you from the lion's den. And that's what happened. Daniel and his co-workers were so jealous, they create this decree. Daniel's in the pit. He's in the lion's den. And here's the thing. We think that the lions were the problem. The real lions were the accusers. The lions, were, the lions for you today are the economy. The lions for you may be the 401k plan that's diminished. 
The lions for you may be the demotion at the office place. The lions for you can be all these external things that you see. Because the lions are big, I'm sitting in the pit, they're looking really large. But how many of you understand that the real enemy is the satanic forces of this world that are trying to mess you up? People are not your problem, people. Satanic forces trying to stir up people are the problem, people. We have an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But God and Jesus Christ have come to give you life, an abundant life, but you have to do it his way. You want to get out of the pit, you've got to give it to Jesus. His way, every day. That's hard. I mean, but yet, it's a point of trust. I find, uh, I find the story of Daniel just fascinating because it inspires us to be more than what our current circumstances dictate. I know that in this situation, he must have been in that pit thinking, am I ever going to get delivered? But what I want you to remember is he did not compromise. He had an excellent attitude. And God, after he came out of the lion's den, promoted him even farther in the kingdom. How many want that? It begins with an attitude of gratitude. There's a book by John Maxwell. I highly recommend each and every one of you read it or borrow it. Um, a lot of the leaders that, we, that, uh, that I like to pour into, we're doing a lot of these books. Um, and sometimes we'll, we'll go through these little deals. And, and one quote just hit me in Winning with People when I read it. Uh, it's by John Maxwell. He talks about this guy named Bob. Bob has a problem with Sally, and Bob has a problem with Susie, and Bob has a problem with Alice and Alex and John and Bill. The problem isn't just that Bob's the problem. That's the common denominator. And as I look back, I can remember at Channel 2, years ago, I worked in the Green Bay television market and back in 99. I can remember it like it was clockwork. We used to have this uh, PGA, LPGA golf tour that came through here. I don't know if you remember. It was a seniors, ladies' senior golf tour, and they, they played out at the country club, Green Bay Country Club, and I was a reporter assigned to this, and Nancy Lopez, how many of you remember Nancy Lopez? She's standing over here. I'm over here with my photographer at the time, and I want to qualify and say that this is before Jesus for me. This was before Jesus. And so we're locking heads. He's not doing what I think he should be doing. He's, so these F-bombs just start coming out of my mouth left and right. I mean, can we be real? I, don't, I mean, that's, that's what happened. That's the truth, and I'm just, I'm just letting them fly. And so Nancy Lopez is right here. Nancy Lopez and, and her people call my boss the next day and say, what was that? I was this close to losing my job. My boss says, you've got a great, you've got a great work ethic. You work really hard. You're talented at what you do, but you have a terrible attitude. And in that moment, I had to come to grips with the fact that, you know what? This guy's not the problem. This guy's not the problem, and she's not the problem. And even my boss, who cusses like a sailor and does all kinds of King Nebuchadnezzar-like things to me, they're not the problem. The problem is Ryan. And when my attitude began to change, and this is an ongoing process, we have to do a checkup from the neck up every day. Every day we have to look at ourselves and go, whoa, wait a minute, I'm off track. 
Let me ask you a couple of closing questions here. And you have to be honest about that, and it's subtle. Are you in so much fear over what's going on in the economy today that you're willing to throw a colleague under the bus to save your family? Think about it. Many of you would hopefully say no, but when the pressure's on, you are not who you think you are. You are by what you do. And you cannot do what God wants you to do unless you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your ethics will come out when the pressure's on, when the lions are there. A little white lie to get the big account, skimping on the job, maybe mailing it in because everyone else does. These are the questions that I think we all wrestle with, but I always look at it this way. I'm preaching right now, back, and I'm looking back there, and I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing David, and I'm seeing Ron, <laughs> I'm seeing Andy, but you know what? Right above you, I'm seeing Jesus, and he's measuring every word I'm saying to you right now, and I have to stand before him, and I have to live out exactly what I preach, and it's hard, and it's not always easy, but it's what's right, and he's given us power to do it, and he's watching to see if you will trust him in the lion's den. With heads bowed, eyes closed, I want to I ask you this question. Who are you? Are you different in the workplace than you are at home? As you prepare for the week ahead, the work week ahead, new fall, who are you at the workplace? You have a fish symbol on the car, but... There's nothing that resembles that at work. I'm going to read you this scripture, Colossians 3. I'm just going to read it to you because I think it'll resonate. It has about eyes closed. Really listen to this. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever may be your task, work at it heartily from the soul as something done for the Lord and not for men knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord and not from men, that you will receive the inheritance which is your real reward. The one whom you're actually serving is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you're serving in the workplace. We work for Jesus. And working for Jesus defeats the entitlement mentality. It defeats the know-it-all mentality. And it defeats the mail-it-in mentality. This is how we become a labor force. Daniel had an excellent spirit in him. And the boss was watching. Yeah, it was King Darius. But his real boss was the Lord. And the king was watching. His co-workers may have been out to get him. The markets were going crazy. But his God delivered him in the midst of a trial. And this God will do it for you. Before I finish up this message, I felt prompted at this moment, right now, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you don't know this Jesus, the Jesus of grace and empowerment, who will give you tools and capacity to win in this life like you've never won before, despite all the struggles that we face, he'll give you that grace supernaturally. You say, I want to win, but I don't really, I don't know Christ. He, I, I've said a prayer before, maybe. I 
I've, I've done a religious thing before, but to really know him, he, to make him Savior and Lord means he's the boss. If you're willing to do that, he'll put his super to your natural. It's that simple. It's a lifestyle change. Everything in your life will completely change, completely. Not, uh, not promising a lack of problems. You'll have those. I'm promising you supernatural power to overcome them. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, I need to get right with God. We all did. We all do because we're all sinners saved by his awesome grace. And he's got a great plan for your life. You choose to allow him to be the boss. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, you say, Pastor Ryan, I want to be sure that he's my boss and that I'm going to go to heaven one day because I know I'm not going to be here every day. My days, as are all of our days, are numbered. And I know one day my number will be up and I know that I need to spend my eternity with him not because of what I can do, not because I'm a good person, but because of what he did, the finished work of the cross. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You say, Pastor Ryan, I want you to pray for me right now, and I want to receive that right now. I want to receive that right now. Thank you. Thank you. Heaven is rejoicing. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, 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 awesome. Now, here's what I want you to do. What what we're agreeing to, everyone else in this room is agreeing to, if you say this prayer, is not an empty religious ritual. It is the start of a relationship with Jesus. It is the start. It is the starting point. And your life will never be the same. I'd ask everybody in this room to repeat this prayer. Father in heaven, I receive your grace. I know I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. I need your power to overcome life's storms and be a winner in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, or perhaps you've rededicated your life, we want to give you a Bible back there. Uh, when you walk out, we give you a Bible, maybe some, some things to, to take with you. But I have, a, I have one other thing that I want to ask people since we're on the subject of work. With heads bowed, eyes closed again. I'm going to ask you this question. Have you been prideful in your workplace? Now, I need you to be real. I need people to be really real because what happens is when you confess that, it just, it pops off you. It just, it comes off you. And when I say prideful, I mean, do you owe your boss an apology? Do you owe, do you owe your coworkers an apology? Do you, do you have the guts, if you know that God's dealing with you on this, and I've, I've struck a nerve on some of this, and God has done that in you, do what I had to do 12 years ago, and I, I still have to continue to do this. Go to those coworkers, go to those bosses, go to them and tell them you're sorry. Have the humility to do that. So if you are a little prideful, get rid of it. If that's you, would you just please gently raise your hand, and we're going to break that off. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you back there. Yeah. Here's another one I want to ask you. And this is, this is I'm asking you just to be real. Have you viewed life as something as the world owes you something? Now, I need you to be honest. Do you, have you lived through the prism of life where the world owes you something? If that, when I even say that, it just pops in your spirit. And you're like, yeah, he's right. If that's you, honestly, many of you probably are not, but some of you are, I believe. Would you just raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you as well. Anyone in this room? In this room? Okay? Last thing. 
Mailing it in. Mailing it in. Are you punching the clock? Are you there to be a marketplace missionary for Christ? There's two ways to view your job. An end to just pay the bills or a marketplace to be a missionary for Christ. We're going to talk about that next week. There's two views. Some of you are praying to get God, God, get this job out of, I want to get out of this job. There's nothing wrong if, if there's something wrong with your job, he'll, he'll, he'll take care of that. But I want to say this, he's wanting to get the bad thinking out of you. If you want to change your job, he wants to change you in that environment. And then he'll do what he needs to do with you. With heads bowed, eyes closed, you say, Ryan, I've been trying to, for a long time, change everybody else around me. And in some ways, I'm Bob. In some ways, I'm Bob. If you're Bob, will you have the courage to say that? Anyone in this room? Thank you. Thank you. Father, you've heard these. And they're, I know they're, they're sometimes painful admissions. Uh, here's what I pray. For those of us that we're winning in this aspect and we're working hard under the Lord in this aspect and we're working under you in this aspect, we know that we don't get it all perfect, but we have to do a reality check I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who, who have heard this message that they will purpose in their heart to make the corrections that you've asked them to make uh, and that they would chew on what you've spoken to them today because it's really for their gain, for their promotion, for their, for their advancement of the kingdom because it's always about glorifying Jesus. And they can have that relationship with you and in your, your word. pray over each and every one that they would embrace these truths in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.